from G2V. Captain's log, stardate 8141.6. Starship Enterprise departing for SETI Alpha 5 to pick up the crew of USS Reliant. All is well. And yet I can't help wondering about the friend I leave behind. There are always possibilities, Spock said. And if Genesis is indeed life from death, I must return to this place again. He's really not dead. As long as we remember it. It's a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done before. A far better resting place I go to than I have ever known. Is that a poem? Mm. Something Spark was trying to tell me on my birthday. You okay, Jim? How do you feel? Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the G2V podcast. I'm Scott Woodard, and joining me, as always, is my partner in podcasting, Arnold T. Blumberg. Well, hey, Scott. It's nice to be doing G2V podcast again, but it certainly is not the way I would have wanted to start it off. No, not at all. As we record this show, it is currently Friday evening, February 27th, and just this morning, we all learned the absolutely devastating news that Leonard Nimoy had passed away at the age of 83. And uh, early this week, I think it was Monday, actually, uh, the news came out that he was taken to the hospital. He's had COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, for quite a while. And as soon as that news came, you know how it is with these things. You see these news items where, particularly when it's a media figure and someone you really love, even if it's someone you may never have even met, but they loom large in our culture and in our lives. And you see these this news come out. The first thing I thought was, it, it just didn't sound good. I thought, it's like, oh, no, it's probably getting to that point. And yet still, it's a complete shock, I think, no matter when it happens. And someone of this iconic stature, it, the entire internet transformed as you watch throughout the day, as just everybody from every corner of entertainment and culture is coming forward and sharing stories and pictures and uh, all sorts of uh, good wishes uh, to try to bolster everybody's spirits with something this bad. And uh, it's, it's really been quite a day. Yeah, it has been. I mean, it's funny how we went from talking about the colors of a stupid dress <laughs> to complete domination of uh, social media, you know, about the loss of uh, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, that the dress thing is insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's forget about no, at that. At least this this means something. Yeah. It absolutely does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, we have there were a lot of, as you say, a lot of really heartfelt uh, messages that have been posted from fans and, and celebrities alike and and uh, even politicians. And we'll get to a few of those. Um, I did want to jump in. I'll start with one right now. And of course, this is a, a, a huge one. Uh, William Shatner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he tweeted very, very early on. He said, uh, I loved him like a brother. 
We will all miss his humor, his talent, and his capacity to love. And it was really touching and heartfelt there. And it, I thought it was kind of funny that he said I loved him like a brother because, you know, brothers <laughs> brothers fight and argue. And we know, always knew that they had, you know, that kind of a brotherly relationship. And it was a really nice way of him, you know, to say that, I thought. Oh, absolutely. And, and from the other end of the spectrum, from someone who was with him at the very beginning of the whole Star Trek phenomenon to someone who's relatively new to it and yet sort of shared a spiritual connection by taking over the role with Zachary Quinto. Oh, yeah. And they clearly developed quite a nice friendship there in these last few years as Nimoy appeared in both of the J.J. Abrams films and was passing the torch in a really elegant way. No matter what you think about the movies, it was beautiful to have him in it and to see that connection to the past. And Quinto tweeted today, my heart is broken. I love you profoundly, my dear friend, and I'll miss you every day. Uh, and also included a picture and some other stuff. But it, it's um, the outpouring is amazing. They, I, I saw one, just again, there, there are hundreds of them. We can mention a few others. One that just struck me, oddly enough, was Seth MacFarlane, who tweeted, Leonard Nimoy brought us one of the greatest, noblest characters in the history of American storytelling, Someone Find the Genesis Planet. Oh, and of great. course, that's the other thing, too. When things like this happen, it elevates aspects of a person's career and colors it in a way that, you know, it transforms it forever. Star Trek II has been sitting there all these years. Now everything about Spock's death has this extra resonance. And, of course, naturally, everybody is quoting uh, from that film and uh, using the picture of his empty chair on the bridge. And it, it just, it's perfect. And it was sitting there all the way back in 1982. But, of course, now it has all this deeper meaning. And, of course, the irony for me is I still have yet to write a piece I'm supposed to write about Spock's rebirth in Star Trek III, oh, which, no. <laughs> which, which will have a little bit of pain to it as I go through yeah. that. But, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting, too. I mean, from my own personal perspective, you know, I found out about this, I think, as I was getting in my car to go to work. And uh, it was a little strange because... I was genuinely choked up as I was driving in, and I realized, like you said just earlier, I, you know, I never met Leonard Nimoy. I mean, I would have loved to have mm -hmm. met him. I hear he, he was a great guy, but I never had that that opportunity. But I still felt like, you know, the, this profound loss that it was like my favorite uncle had just passed away. Sure. And in fact, that brings to mind something else, too. In recent years, we'll probably mention some other great things that uh, were shared on social media about him, too. Uh, he became pretty active on Twitter. And his regular sign-off on all his tweets was LLAP for Live Long and Prosper. But uh, everybody's also uh, sharing his last tweet, which is with uh, this poetic piece that he put on there. A life is like a garden. Perfect moments can be had, but not preserved except in memory. And that wound up being the last thing he tweeted. But in the last couple of years, one of the things he did on Twitter was he'd do this thing where for a few days he'd say, okay, everybody that tweets back, I'll be your honorary grandfather. And it was just this sweet little warm connection to strangers. And thousands of people would tweet back in whatever form he would say, you know, grandfather, papa, Zadie, would, you know, it's just uh, something Jewish people know well as a, as a euphemism for grandfather. And, uh, and everybody's doing it. And I tweeted back to him too, that my grandfather was a, a huge, uh, influence on my life and my personality. And I miss him every day. And I said, but I would be really happy to have you as an honorary papa. So, so <laughs> I was one of many that did that. And it was, sure. it was a really sweet thing he was doing there, sort of reaching out to people all around the world. 
Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I just saw, just read an article where he he had spoken about um, his condition mm-hmm. and was basically saying, you know, you got to stop the smoking. And he said, take it from your grandpa. Yes, you know, you have to stop this. And and uh, yeah, he really embraced that role. And it's uh, really sweet. Here's a couple other things that I I certainly want to spend some time talking with you about some of our reactions personally. But here's another couple things just to so have it up. Certainly, it says a lot when. Someone dies of, of a stature that has such a, a wide-reaching impact on pop culture when the President of the United States puts out a statement and Barack Obama put out a statement about uh, his death saying, Leonard was a lifelong lover of the arts and humanities. I'm just skipping around a bit. And he said, and of course, yeah. Leonard was Spock. Uh, I loved Spock. In 2007, I had the chance to meet Leonard in person. It was only logical to greet him with the Vulcan salute, the universal sign for live long and prosper. And after 83 years on this planet and on his visits to many others, it's clear Leonard Nimoy did just that. And that was a beautiful thing. But uh, in, in thinking about it, I mean, Star Trek, obviously, you could, we could spend whole shows. I mean, we already have. We spent some of our earliest uh, stuff on GDV. We talked about the J.J. Abrams movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but his his impact on things yes it's it's largely overshadowed by the enormous impact of a character that whose influence can't be calculated maybe spock could do it but, <laughs> uh, but with spock is just one of these characters that that's going to be immortal i mean there's just there's no questioning that but mm-hmm. his career also that he pops up in so many interesting ways and when you grow up i just feel also from sort of our generation if you grew up through the 70s and 80s, if you're someone that watched Star Trek originally in the 60s too, then you were really uh, at the peak of his career and witnessing him turning up and all these different things. And so he became a part of your childhood and your life. And I remember everything from his incredible turn as probably one of the most loathsome villains Columbo ever faced. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. He was one of those characters that was interesting because when you're a fan of the Columbo show, there are there are villains he'll meet where he actually kind of likes them, uh, and and he sort of regrets having to bring them in. Nimoy's one of the ones that he hated, and is one of the rare times where Columbo showed incredible anger at a certain point, slamming something on his desk because this was a, a monster. And also, him following up a role like Spock with that was a way of showing, yes, he could certainly uh, do something completely different. I mean, you could fix it up so that no one would know the difference. That would be murder, wouldn't it, Lieutenant? Yes, yes. Yes, it certainly would, sure. Uh, Because that would explain why Miss Martin was so bothered after the operation, and it would explain why she wanted to see the chemist that the company that made the suture. That's murder. That certainly is, no question about it. What's so funny? (laughs) Excuse me, Lieutenant. I had to play it as though you were serious. (laughs) You don't really believe all those foolish things you say, do you? (laughs) I believe you killed Sharon Martin, and I believe you're trying to kill Dr. Heidemann. Lieutenant Columbo, you're remarkable. You have intelligence, you have perception, you have great tenacity. You've got everything except proof. He also had sort of a sinister turn in... um, in the 70s invasion of the body snatchers. Oh, yeah. Which I remember at the time watching and thinking, I can't believe that's Spock. I know. I (laughs) I remember the exact same reaction. And I saw that film in the theater, believe it or not. And I think for all of us of a certain age, Leonard Nimoy was there with us 
all the time, not just as Spock, not just in Star Trek, but every weekend sharing with us all of the bizarre and the unknown things throughout the world <laughs> through In Search Of. Oh, God, yeah. And you and I have talked about In Search Of many times, not necessarily on the show, but many, many times. I mean, just the the, the musical tones alone that accompany episodes about UFO abduction or Bigfoot. Or Dracula yeah. torturing people. <laughs> As we, we've called it pants crapping yeah. music. It's just so chilling and, of course, and bizarre. It was, it was Nimoy's voice. And then, and then there'd be those moments where he'd appear on screen and yeah. actually do some connective stuff, usually with a dizzying array of widely lapeled jackets. I loved his I loved his style and in search of it was just Oh awesome. god yeah. Castle Ambras, occupied during the 16th century by Archduke Ferdinand, harbors one of the most terrifying portrait galleries in the civilized world. Painted from life, these grotesqueries reflect the offbeat tastes of the collector. In this gallery of the bizarre are images of those maimed in battle or deformed by nature. One portrait seems curiously out of place. It's that of a king who ruled not in Austria, but in a land to the east, now called Romania. His brutality earned him the nickname Vlad the Impaler. His real name was Vlad Dracula. But yeah. you reach all the way back and looking at the from the Doctor of the Dead side of things, he's in one of the few zombie movies with zombie in the title that has nothing to do with zombies. And that's the, <laughs> the 1952 movie Zombies, zombies of the Stratosphere in which he appeared uh, as a green-skinned alien foreshadowing something much more significant. And that wasn't all. He turns up in things like the Brain Eaters and for me, a key childhood thing one of my favorite movies of all time, one that I've probably seen more than, I don't know, maybe five or ten movies I've seen so many times I can't count anymore. And one of them is Them, the giant ant movie from the 50s. Oh, yeah. And he has one brief scene in the movie where he's uh, a military guy who they're, they're monitoring uh, information coming in to check where the ants are going to turn up next. And he has one couple lines where he delivers a message off the teletype to somebody and says, this is real TS, top secret stuff. Those Texans. When bigger stories are told, Texans will tell them. That ought to fit in with the kind of stuff they're looking for upstairs. Anybody found out yet what's going on in this building? No. Real TS stuff. Top secret. And we always used to joke about that, how he says TS in context as, an, as a military officer or whatever he is. And surely the person he's speaking to knows exactly what that means. But <laughs> you have to follow it up with top secret. Right. But I always remember him and them. So it's, yeah. he, he's, he's been a part of our lives in so many ways that you can't even, you can't even figure out the, uh, the, the range of impact that he's had. And then, of course, Mission Impossible as well. And Mission Impossible, which apparently wasn't too thrilled with doing after a while but it was because yeah. uh, it was such a limiting role but it was his immediate follow-up pretty much to star trek so certainly plenty of people remember that you know the weird thing was i don't know what led me to do this i actually think it may have been the news of him going to the hospital but this week 
I and, and I'll have to admit this. This is bad. Uh, as someone who grew up to as a dedicated Star Trek fan long before I was a Doctor Who fan, Star Trek was my world, and in some ways still is. But it was my whole world in childhood: Star Trek and Star Wars. But yet, I'd never read I Am Not Spock. And then years later, he did the follow-up, I Am Spock. And just in the last few days, I started listening to an audio book of I Am Spock that he recorded. And I found it on YouTube. And I've been listening to it for the last few days. Almost like I was getting ready. But it's just coincidental. But Mm -hmm. the weird thing is, yesterday, where I stopped was the part where he was talking about them offering him the death scene in Star Trek II. Hmm. And talking about that whole the process of Spock's death in that movie, that's where I left off. It's kind of kind of creepy, and it's yeah, just an added note of sadness to it. I actually got. Uh, I remember I got I Am Spock from my parents as a Christmas present one the year it came out, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm just just <laughs> that's just my one memory. But I remember how how uh, quickly I dove into it and and read it and enjoyed it. I have to say also, I mentioned. I'm just thinking right now. I mentioned Zadie. I never really thought about this much, and I guess it's just us talking about it now. It gives me the opportunity to reflect. I'm not sure I have ever been conscious of this, but I think there's an element of him being important to me, particularly in childhood, in that as I got older and became very steeped in all the behind the scenes and like reading every book I could about Star Trek and all these things, how much he... Vocally, uh, he he spoke about and embraced his Jewish heritage, mm-hmm. and how he was such a positive, not role model, but just a positive figure about someone who didn't shy away from his ethnicity and his background and talked so openly about things. And particularly, maybe coming from a time sort of in the sixties in television, where I don't know, maybe it wasn't so much then, but there are a lot of uh, Jewish celebrities at the time who like changed their names. Certainly older, in the golden age of Hollywood, things like that. And he he never, he was always very open about it. Shatner, too. Um, maybe not so much back then. <laughs> I love it. Um, and, of course, Nimoy's done a lot of things related to it uh, over the years. Whether it was um, uh, doing work, uh, he did that uh, TV movie. It was a TV movie, um, I think it was A Woman Called Golda, where he did about Golda Meir. And uh, just so many things. And, of course, probably the thing that Star Trek fans know best is his story about how he came up with uh, the hand salute. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he saw it at a service where the Kohenim, who go up uh, in Shoal to uh, do the blessing on people, you're not supposed to look. And I remember that as a kid, too. So, I mean, it just resonated with me whenever I heard him tell that story or I read that story. Because, like, yeah, I remember being at the synagogue seeing that. You're not supposed to look. Because... The, the the lore is that when they're doing that, it's like they're actually summoning the Spirit of God. So you're not supposed to look at the front of the shoal. You're supposed to put your head down. And he, as a kid, looked, you know, as everybody does, by the way, at some point, <laughs> and saw that they were doing their hands like that because that makes the shape of the letter Shin, which is one uh, Hebrew letter that also stands for God, one, one word for God. So... Uh, in, in in what I'm sure in, in some Orthodox Jewish circles would be pretty blasphemous, he then said, hey, I'll use that for a TV show. <laughs> Do that. But it's just such a, I don't know, for me, it just always seemed like, and I'm sure for maybe a lot of Jewish fans too, it seemed like such a sweet connection that he took from something in his personal life that has that profound little connection and turned into something that he shared with the world. And I just always loved that. Mm-hmm. 
That's great. Well, and of course, the other thing, too, is I was having a conversation with a coworker today and we were talking about, you know, how how much of an impact his passing is is uh, having. And we were just sort of breaking down the character. And ultimately, I think one of the reasons so many people bonded with and, and appreciated and loved Spock, of course, is that he was the outsider, just as so many of us were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, trying to fit in, trying to fit in uh, human society where, you know, trying to fit into the status quo. And we were all growing up and we were, you know, science fiction nerds and we were, you know, <laughs> we were all like, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. And we weren't fitting in. So a lot of us were able to, um, you know, see Spock and, and really relate to that character. And I, maybe that's one of the reasons why we feel it so, so hard now is that it's, it's like he was a guiding force for us growing up and, and it's gone. And the arc of the character, too, when you look at Spock's arc from beginning to end, one of the things that I think is so wonderful is how he had the time and the opportunity, because certainly things might not have been produced or written to fit in with that, to take that character what feels like a complete arc. From the very beginning when we meet him, it's that whole thing of struggling with his two halves. And then by the time you start getting through the movies, they really, when you when you watch it, as a cohesive whole, everything from Star Trek, the motion picture, which I think we both agree is highly underrated, well worth revisiting now, maybe more than ever. Uh, mm-hmm. We see him trying to purge everything from his human side only to have V'ger reveal to him how important it is. And there's that scene that a lot of people are pointing out today, this simple feeling. And that's the first glimmer of the Spock that starts to evolve through the films as he realizes that logic isn't the only answer and that he should be embracing both sides. And then, of course, there's the death and rebirth. By the time you get to Star Trek VI, there's some beautiful stuff in there about him realizing that he can be both. And I think one of the things that's interesting is, again, this is coming from my having just just been listening to I Am Spock. I finished listening to it today after hearing the news. And at the end, he points out what's one of my favorite scenes in Star Trek VI that I always thought was a nice little meta-commentary on the actors themselves, and he confirms that in his book. That scene toward the end of Star Trek VI where Kirk comes to Spock in his quarters, and Spock says, is it possible that we two, you and I, are so old that we've outlived our usefulness? And they're sort of bantering back and forth. They're sort of like self-aware that they're engaging in their old banter where Kirk says that he's human and Spock says, you know, he thinks that's insulting and they both know they're kind of joking with each other. And Nimoy says he always felt that scene was the emotional closure for the whole arc of the character, that he's now Mm. a character that feels at home being both, that he is both Vulcan and human and he can share his emotional reactions when, (laughs) ironically, it's logical to do so or when it serves its purpose and he can be both. And I think the amazing thing about the character is that he had the opportunity to basically take the character all the way from that first question, can you wrestle these two sides, to the answer, which is he's now at peace with it, and he can. And it's a beautiful thing. And and I think that what you were saying about his, his sort of how it resonates with us and with fans all around, I think it winds up being an incredibly inspiring story, that when you look at that whole arc, it's basically saying – we can all do that. You can all find balance. And uh, I don't know. I just think that's, uh, maybe it sounds a little corny, but I just think it's, <laughs> I think it's incredibly profound. 
And it's interesting, too, that uh, if you think about that, uh, you know, d- despite what your opinion might be about the J.J. Abrams films, I think the Spock that's shown in those films is, is yet another stage of that evolution. Oh, yeah. And, and I think, you know, I'm sure that was uh, Nimoy himself saying, you know, well, Spock at this age would be like this. Uh-huh. And, and I think he did such a nice job with it that, you know, that he has his emotional moments, but he also has his very logical moments. But I think at that point, it's so clear that that is the, the same Spock. And I think he did, just did such a nice job with that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, his appearance in Into Darkness is very fleeting. So mm-hmm. it's really the first film where you see that. But that final conversation he has standing there with Quinto at the end, it, it absolutely feels like, I mean, obviously it is him, but I mean, it absolutely feels like the same Spock we've been following all these years. And yet, like you say, a very, and I hate, I hate to say it, but it's the obvious choice of words. It's a very logical progression from everywhere he had been before to being that man standing there talking to that younger self. And yeah, it, it fits perfectly. There are so few Vulcans left. We cannot afford to ignore each other. Then why did you send Kirk aboard when you alone could have explained the truth? Because you needed each other. I could not deprive you of the revelation of all that you could accomplish together, of a friendship that will define you both in ways you cannot yet realize. How did you persuade him to keep your secret? He inferred that universe-ending paradoxes would ensue should he break his promise. You lied. Oh, I... I implied. A gamble. An act of faith. One I hope that you will repeat in the future as Starfleet. In the face of extinction, it is only logical I resign my Starfleet commission and help rebuild our race. And yet you can be in two places at once. I urge you to remain in Starfleet. I have already located a suitable planet on which to establish a Vulcan colony. Spock, in this case, do yourself a favor. Put aside logic. Do what feels right. Since my customary farewell would appear oddly self-serving, I shall simply say, good luck. But, I mean, how many people get the chance? There's so many times in his career when you'd figured, well, he'll never play that character again. How many people get the chance to create, bring life to a character over such an enormous period of time? Basically, a lifetime. And it's really extraordinary. And I think that says a lot about the power of that character. We mentioned about the impact on us. Certainly another thing that was interesting, too, certainly from the perspective of so many female fans as well, is how magnetic Spock was in those early days. Oh, sure. Um, That he was an incredible uh, sex symbol and romantic figure in much the same way that you see other characters like Sherlock, for instance. Because here's a character that seems there's all this boiling underneath, but it's all repressed. It's all hidden by the stoic side. And there's that idea of, can you, can you reach him in there and, and get to the man inside? And it's like a challenge and, and so enticing. And it's no wonder that his character became such a centerpiece. In some ways, I've seen a lot of people say today, in some ways they say Spock is Star Trek. And granted, my first reaction might be, yeah, but, you know, Captain Kirk and all that. But no, I think it is. I think really when it comes down to it, if you, you could take everything else away, I think in some ways on a on an intellectual level, on a philosophical level, I think that one character 
sums up everything that Star Trek is and why it became what it became. You take him out of it, and I don't think you'd have the sprawling franchise and all the impact that it would have had. I just don't think so. Well, I'm reminded of that story that's in the uh, the Inside Story. You've read that book, oh, yeah, right? The, yeah. yeah, where uh, Roddenberry was confronted and and flat out asked, <laughs> "Who's the star of of the show?" And it was, you know, is it Kirk or Spock? And it was fairly controversial at the time. But uh, it's it's funny that you you talk about that. I think I do agree with you. I think ultimately, uh, I, I I think Spock is Star Trek because. You know, he is, he's, he's basically everything that that show is about. It's, we've got all our human characters. We know those people and, you know, they're us. Mm-hmm. But Spock is, he's the, the representative of the final frontier. He's, he's the one that they are boldly going out to visit. Mm-hmm. And he is now thrust into, uh, this world that's, you know, new and alien. And, and I think that's, that is what Star Trek is. So I, I totally agree with you. It's interesting. You, you, uh, we should go back to a couple other people that are significant too. You, you read earlier uh, Shatner's bit uh, from mm-hmm. today. I loved him like a brother. And uh, we were looking these up before we got started. About uh, the thing that had occurred to me was I was, I was actually saying, and I didn't mean this as harsh as it sounds, but I was thinking, who's left? Um, oh yeah. It's, a, it's just a sad thing. I mean, it's the nature of of life that as you move forward, particularly with your childhood, things just. I'm reminded of another show we both love, with Doctor Who. The you know things detaching themselves like melting icebergs, that whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. But of the people that remain from the original bridge crew, uh, Shatner made his statement, and uh, so far we've also heard from George Decay, uh, who said Leonard Nimoy truly did live long and prosper. Uh, he also posted a video with some of his best moments and invited people to share their choices too. And Nichelle, we should probably post a link to that. I would imagine. Yeah, and uh, Nichelle Nichols uh, also put out a statement, said deeply saddened, uh, but I also want to celebrate his extraordinary life. He was a true force of strength, and his character was that of a champion. Leonard's integrity and passion as an actor and devotion to his craft helped transport Star Trek into television history. His vision and heart are bigger than the universe. I will miss him very much and send heartfelt wishes to his family. And uh, we haven't yet heard from uh, Walter Koenig. There are obviously so many other people. We can't list all these people. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be reading out all these (laughs) tweets. But there's one more I wanted to do because I know, like a lot of other fans, one of the things I was so excited by in 1991 was when Leonard Nimoy showed up on Star Trek The Next Generation and how it was part of that wonderful anniversary celebration that dovetailed with the story in Star Trek VI and tied those eras together in a profound way. And, of course, that had already happened with Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard actually mind-melding with Sarek in that significant episode, and then in Spock's two-parter, visiting Sarek just before his death and being able to bring his father's spirit, in essence, to Spock so that he could sort of reconcile with his father beyond the the realm of life and it was a beautiful scene that that wrapped up that two-parter patrick stewart said something today also where he said uh it is with sadness that i heard this morning of the death of friend and colleague leonard nimoy i was lucky to spend many happy hours with leonard socially and in front of the camera the caliber and serious commitment of his work on star trek was one of the things all of us on star trek the next generation sought to match and be inspired by his work will not be forgotten and of course, we're spending a lot of time talking about Spock, as makes perfect sense, given uh, the enormity of the impact of that single character. It's just incredible when someone has a lifetime career and makes such an impact with one single role that, that crosses over so many decades. But 
the thing about Nimoy too is, and I know a lot of fans know this because you become a fan of someone, you do explore their other work, you certainly should, is how many other things he accomplished in his life besides just the acting and directing. Uh, he's an, he was an artist, he was a writer, and uh, mm-hmm. he was a poet. Yeah, he published many, many collections of poetry. And uh, he, did, uh, he did a great deal of work in photography later in his life, too, uh, including uh, gallery showings and a project he was doing where he was doing nude photography of uh, what you call Zaftig women. And it was uh, incredibly artistic stuff that he did. He had such a... a um, well, like we were saying off mic, I think just now, he's a renaissance man in many ways. Oh, yeah. Well, and of course, he was a, he was a fantastic musician as well. <laughs> well, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, I think if, if I'm not mistaken, I think he may have done upwards of five albums. I, I've only ever heard three of them. I, and shockingly, I actually have three on my iPod and we actually listen to them at work on occasion. So uh, even those, as amusing as they are, um, you know, it was another facet of this man. Well, I think there, there are very few Star Trek fans, certainly of a certain era, that probably didn't uh, hunt down and own a copy of the one that has him holding the Enterprise. I know that one's the, of course, yeah. the one that's memorable. So, yeah, I've got that tucked away somewhere. I can't remember which one <laughs> the Bilbo Baggins song is on, though. Well, you know, and as so many uh, celebrities over the years, it seems like a lot in, a lot involved in Star Trek actually did this, but um, many of them did sort of these forays into the into music. And uh, of course, Shatner, <laughs> he he's played around in the in that world himself. Yeah, uh, that's a way of putting I mean, it. More, yeah, yeah, and I, I have to say, if you've never heard the Ben Folds uh, album that he did, is it is truly amazing. But uh, I remember many many years ago, the first time I had ever heard. Uh, the, their their music. And again, I'm going to use that term in quotes with uh, with William Shatner. But uh, I shared them with my father, and he was a little shocked, a little taken aback by William Shatner's performances because he really didn't sing. They were more just sort of spoken word, you know, things. And uh, but then I played Leonard Nimoy's, and I remember my dad actually saying that he respected that a lot more because he said, "Hey, at least he's trying to sing," and <laughs> <laughs> and so that was kind of fun. But uh, but yeah, there's there, there's some really fun stuff, and I always got uh, a feeling that uh, Nimoy was genuinely enjoying doing the music. I think that was something he he actually did have a lot of fun with. And I think one of the things that also comes out as you see some of the stuff he did at the end of his life is. Um, we talked about like I am not Spock and all that. There's certainly an element of coming uh, coming to some terms with being associated with one specific role, and obviously we've seen every, including Shatner, uh, a lot of actors dealing with that. They go through periods where they're maybe not as comfortable with it. Eventually, with time and age, I think you eventually uh, find peace with it and, and a sense of balance, which is something that we were talking about about Spock himself in many ways. Um, but one of the things that occurred to me, and I shared this earlier today in like Twitter and Facebook, was uh, just a couple years ago, I think, he did that cute little commercial with Zachary Quinto. Oh, uh, yeah, car, that was great. The car commercial, yeah, and they're going to play golf together. And just in the space of a few minutes, they work in this, uh, he does a, a version of his Star Trek II death scene against the window of his car, um, <laughs> which Quinto doesn't buy at all. And uh, and he's and he's singing the ballad of Bilbo Baggins while he's driving. Oh, that's thing. right. And it's just this beautiful little sewing up of all these little references that, like, at that point in his life, it's like, yeah, why not just you know embrace all yeah. of it? And uh, and as he was reaching what unfortunately was the end of his life, it seemed like he 
very uh, gracefully and smoothly transitioned into being sort of the elder statesman of this whole sprawling franchise of Star Trek, and really, in a sense, an elder statesman of science fiction entertainment in general. And while some people may not have had that bearing, uh, he came across as someone that was maybe as certainly as, as stable and intellectual as his character Spock comes across, but also very warm and affectionate to fans. And we were talking earlier about his Twitter activity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a testament to the man, too, is the the role that he sort of took on and to what extent that actually reflects his personality or whether he was doing that for the benefit of fans around the world. I don't know, but the the way that he sort of just took on that role of being the grandfather and the and the uh, representative of all this, it was really a beautiful thing. And, uh, of course, it doesn't make it any less shocking uh, when the day finally comes when you have to say goodbye. Well, I think that pretty much does it for our little tribute to uh, Leonard Nimoy. Obviously, he, uh, he was a great influence to us uh, growing up and, and even today. And uh, on the, to the rest of the world as well. If you just take a look at social media, you're not going to miss a, a thing. I mean, it's just everywhere. And uh, it's it's interesting, too, because uh, this is the first G2V podcast that we've done in almost a year. And uh, while it's sad that uh, this was uh, this was the appropriate platform for us, I suppose, to to do this particular show. Uh, I do just want to stress that the G2B podcast will be back. Uh, it was just put on hiatus while we focused our energies on a couple of our other shows. And, uh, we do hope you'll check out our other shows, uh, Doctor of the Dead, which is our horror and zombie, uh, podcast, our Walking Dead Z Nation podcast. We just posted our 37th episode of that one. Uh, do go and check that out. Uh, and be sure to follow Arnold, uh, at Doctor of the Dead on Twitter. Uh, we also have a Doctor Who podcast. Uh, that one's sort of on hiatus at the moment as well while we're between seasons, but that's uh, Who's Talking, and you can find that at Who's Talking Cast. And uh, as I said, the G2B podcast. We will be bringing this sucker back uh, with far more exciting and uh, and certainly more fun episodes down the line. We've got some great stuff lined up for that, but uh, just give it a little bit more time. But We will be back, we assure you. So until then, a heartfelt farewell to Leonard Nimoy, You've left us a legacy for us all to enjoy for the rest of our lives. Space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before.